Good morning, class. I said it like that so that you know it's spelled with a U because it's a pun. Hi. Speaking of you, how are you doing? Happy Halloween. I hope you're having a fiend shocktober. I'm Andy Sell. You're listening to Ghoul School, a horror history podcast here on the Unpops Network. I'm excited for today. Do you hear that music? Doesn't it get you in the Halloween spirit? You recognize this song, right? It's familiar. If you don't know, this song is called Dance Macabre, and it is a tone poem for orchestra written in 1874 by French composer and organist Camille Sanson, and it is named after the European and specifically French in origin, I believe, artistic allegory known as Dance Macabre, or the Dance of Death, which is a thing that started around the 1400s and is often used to convey the universality of death and the common ground that our mortality gives us as a species. Now, when this song first hit the scene in 1874, its use of dissonant tritones and screeching violins and xylophone and repetition induced anxiety in listeners, and it was not well received as a result. But now, all of these years later, it is a staple of the season, and one that I am using right now because it's public domain under a Creative Commons license. So I get to put it in this podcast. One person who did not get to use this song, however, was a man named Walt Disney. Heard of him? You see, in 1928, after arguments between Walt and his composer-organist collaborator, Carl Stalling, over Stalling's frustrations with having to compose music to match animation led to Walt Disney agreeing to let Stalling engage in a series of experimental shorts that he would call silly symphonies that would have more of an equality in action and a syncopation between the music and the animation. One of Stalling's earliest ideas was to have skeletons getting up and dancing around as you would see in a dance macabre. Dance macabres normally involved a personification of death inviting the dead to come back to life and engage in a dance. According to Stalling, he also had a dancing skeleton marionette toy when he was a child, and he had fond memories of that and thought that would make a basis for a good animated short. He enlisted Disney animation collaborator Ub Iwerks to get to work on the design, and Ub Iwerks allegedly was inspired aesthetically by the works of 
London artist Thomas Rowlandson, who in 1815 collaborated with poet William Combe on a series called The English Dance of Death, which featured the dance macabre in a way that it hadn't really been seen before. It featured modern characters in familiar contemporary scenes and was full of pretty dark humor in its caricatured presentations and commentary. Anyway, Carl Stalling and Ub Iwerks then set to work on The Skeleton Dance, the very first Silly Symphony cartoon. Now, it's reported that they wanted to use this song, Camille Saint-Saëns, Dance Macabre. But at the time, it was not public domain, so Disney couldn't get the rights. Remember, this is before Disney owned everything. So Stalling was just instructed to compose something that kinda sounded like it. When the cartoon was finished, it was run at a theater in Los Angeles and a theater in San Francisco to drum up attention and hopefully sell it for distribution, and it worked. Reviewers loved it. It was a big hit, and in August of 1929, Columbia Pictures picked it up for distribution and released it, and fast forward to nearly 100 years later, and you'd probably be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't seen it. It's a great cartoon, and I love watching it in October in the same way that I love listening to this song in October to get me into the Halloween spirit. And hey, speaking of the Halloween spirit, I'm really excited for today's episode. You see, this is, unlike anything I've done so far, it's a new format of the show. I'm calling it Substitute Creatures. And it's when I invite someone who I think is either an authority on a certain subject in the horror genre or has an insight that I really appreciate, or is just someone I like to talk to. And in this case, we have someone who's all three. See, for our first substitute creature, I have invited my friend and friend of the show, Rob Walker. Now, Rob Walker is a writer and performer. He's the co-creator of the web series Victorian Cutout Theater. He has bylines in a number of different humor outlets, including The Hard Times. He recently wrote and created monsters for the Onyx Path Publishing role-playing games. They came from beneath the sea, and they came from beyond the grave. His short folk horror western screenplay, Three Nights on the Plains, was recently a semi-finalist in both the Fade-In competition and the Midwest Weird Fest competition, and an award winner at the Fantasy Science Fiction Film and Screenplay Festival. And probably most importantly for today's subject, a father, because he's here with us today to talk about Halloween specials. I asked him to curate a list of Halloween specials that he considers indispensable to the subject of Halloween specials. If you want to follow Rob, and I highly suggest you do, he's on Instagram as at Quarantastic. That's Q-U-A-R-A-N-T-A-S-T-I-C. At Quarantastic on Instagram, and there's a link tree there to all of his stuff. Anyway, hope you're having a great spooky season. Happy Halloween. Let's talk to Rob Walker about Halloween specials. So, Rob, Rob Walker. Yes. Friend of the monsters. Indeed. Monster kid. You have graciously accepted the invitation to be visiting Drackalty here at. <laughs> <laughs> school. The honor is exclusively mine. It's good to have you, and I'm excited to talk to you about the important historical subject of Halloween specials. Yes. And their place in our national identity, species identity, maybe. <laughs> I 
got this idea from you know your your tweet about the Garfield Halloween adventure because that yeah. is a very special 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 to me in my heart but we will get to that i asked you to assemble a list of what you would consider to be like the indispensable halloween specials the specials that you would bring to a class to say this is the curriculum this is what we are studying this semester yeah and you got some you chose some bangers and i'm excited but before we get into those, I want to ask you, what's what does Halloween mean to you? Like, why? I know that's a question that's going to probably have a very, uh, <laughs> <laughs> very thorough yeah, answer. Me, yeah, meandering and amorphous. So, so I grew up a monster kid. At my mom read Stephen King. She had all the paperbacks, horror paperbacks in the house constantly. My dad was a Universal Monsters guy. They had Halloween parties that were like legendary when my sister and I were very young. Oh, nice. And we'd go trick-or-treating, and that was lovely. And then when you reach... Because I went trick-or-treating even into high school. And to this day, if high if like tall kids come to the door, if you're dressed, you're getting candy. Like, I don't yeah. really I don't really care. I think that should be the policy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in college, it's a little weird because it's like, wow, we can't go trick-or-treating anymore. Let's go to a party, I guess. Like, I, you know, but I was never really a, a super party guy. So I'd hang out and watch monster movies and stuff. I think we're very similar in that yeah. regard. Yeah. And then as an adult and now as a father, I take Halloween very seriously because I feel like it is more giving and special than even a holiday like Christmas. Because Christmas. Is supposed to be like goodwill toward men and, you know, helping other members of the community. And that definitely goes on. But there's no other holiday where complete strangers go and buy candy or anything <laughs> and just yeah. give it to other strangers. Yeah. Like, and if you don't want to play, you turn your, your porch light off and you don't have to play. But yeah, I mean, on a level that no other holiday does that. And I think that's wonderful and exceptional and that is something to be celebrated. Absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. I also think that Christmas, it's like the rails are, are clearer. Like it's yeah. more of a, you know, these are what, this is, these are the things we do for Christmas and this is what's expected of you. And I just feel like it's easier yeah. to be the, you know, the good guy on Christmas. I think Halloween, it is like you have to find your own personal yes. deal in it. There aren't bumpers. There's not, there aren't, you know, there aren't nets the way there are with Christmas. It's yeah. like you have to find, where do you fit in to your community's Halloween scenario? And I think for me, it's, it's probably similar to you. The difference is I don't have kids. So I, I don't have yeah. this, like, I'm not trying to rub it in your face. Um, <laughs> but it's almost like I don't have direction well, as a 40 as a something man who yeah. loves Halloween and doesn't own a home. I don't have kids I can do stuff for. I don't have like the two best Halloweens that I had as an adult were years that I turned the place I lived into a haunt for yeah. trick or treaters. And those two nights were magical. And it was the most it ever made sense to me as a holiday. Yeah. As an adult. I think not to buzz market other podcasts, but the Purple Stuff podcast every year they do the Halloween countdown and stuff. And I feel like they 
they were the ones to kind of clue me into when you get to be a certain age, when you become an adult, like you're not doing trick or treating. There's no, you know, that world is, is no longer yours. So you have to find joys and other things. Mm -hmm. So like for us, the trips to spirit Halloween, like when that opens, Mm -hmm. that's part of it. Watching spooky movies and introducing my kids to scary movies or books, picture books. That's part of it too. Costume parties, that sort of thing. You're absolutely right. I think there are no bumpers. You have to kind of find your own meaning in it. Yeah. And for people who love parties, that's great. I just, to me, it was even in college, it was always just like, it's just like any other party, except we're just wearing costumes. Yeah. (laughs) And that always seemed like kind of sad to me. You know, it always seemed like, oh, does Halloween not mean what it used to mean? Because that's not where I fit into it. You know, that's not like, if you're doing a Halloween party where you're like bobbing for apples and playing like, you know, Halloween appropriate music and maybe there's a room with horror movies <laughs> playing and stuff yeah. like that. Like that's cool, you know, with the house decorating and everything like that's cool stuff. If it's just a regular party, but everybody's wearing costumes, it's I don't know. That's not for me. And, and yeah. I like the idea of like, you know, helping out with a haunt or building a haunt or, you know, doing giving back to yeah. the, the, the holiday. Totally. I don't know if you feel this way. And I'm sure I'm sure a thousand master's theses have been written about this very thing. But with streaming and kind of the splintering of everyone's media, it feels like Halloween has become a lot, a lot less decentralized. Yes. And this is something we'll get into with the specials. But like, I remember when I first heard that Apple was the exclusive purveyor Ugh. of the Peanuts yeah. media. I got irrationally angry Yeah, because it was like, at a certain point, those just belong to the culture. You know what I mean? We watch them. Yes. We watch them for free every year on TV. Well, how many people watch terrestrial television anymore? So it's like, what do you do with that media that was just free and easy to find? Mm-hmm. So I, I get it. But it's the same with like, you know, Garfield or, or any other Halloween special. Yeah, or even the Halloween episodes of regular series. Yes, you know, exactly. There's there's less of a communal aspect to those now. Yeah, and there just also seemed to be like in the 80s and 90s, as soon as October hit, even the commercials were Halloween, like almost across the board. So from like local commercials to, to national commercials, like beer, every beer brand had their Halloween commercial. And it just didn't like I remember going with my dad to the liquor store to pick up, I think, a six pack or something. And it, they had those giant standees of Elvira or for a while it was the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Remember Zima? Oh, yeah. So I have a th- in my parents house, I have a 3D poster of for, of an ad for Zima um, <laughs> that was Halloween themed and had monsters and stuff it. in it. And, not you know, not that we need to be shucking alcohol and using Halloween to do it. But, but it just really felt like, oh, we're all watching. We're all watching TGIF. Like we're all watching these same things. We're all sharing in culture. And now, now there's, it's so splintered and there's so much of it that you can talk to somebody and you're not watching the same things. Like there are very few cultural touchstones. I feel like these days. Yeah. It's interesting because as you know, the markets have found new niches. Yeah. It's like less binding and, and, and less unifying, but also like the industry is bigger than that. Like Halloween 
is big business. Yeah. And, you know, they're still, they still put out three of the five monster cereals every year. Yeah. And they still like all of the different, you know, Heinz does tomato blood labels for their ketchup and all these snack cakes and cereals and chips and stuff have these like Halloween variants that come out. There's those, you know, so we have the commodified stuff, but like the true, like emblematic cultural Halloween unifying things are fewer and further between now. You know, I've got my Garfield Halloween adventure DVD. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it's on YouTube or whatever, but it's not airing at the same time. So we're not doing that. It's not the moon landing or the Super Bowl or the presidential debates anymore. It's not a thing that we're all watching at the same time. That's one of the like for horror fans, like if if anyone who has a Shutter subscription, it's a joy to watch the Joe Bob stuff live or live because it feels like you're part of a community. And that makes something really special. And I, I, I'm wondering if we'll kind of start to get back to that because for the longest time they just do, if you had a TV show on streaming, you just dump them all at the same time. And now more of them are starting to like have specific dates that they release them. So I think, you know, we might get back to a more centralized <laughs> cultural experience with certain things. But I think certain people, there's always going to be, you know, a counterculture. There's always going to be somebody holding out or fighting, you know, to push yeah. back. And we do have, yeah, there's Shudder. There's also Cinematic Void on their YouTube channel. They do the Cinematness movie every Friday in October. Oh, cool. And so that's been fun. I think the pandemic had a way of bringing us closer together in a way we hadn't been since like the early 2000s culturally because you had everything go online and also like everyone was doing stuff online so i would like for me personally i would go and read stuff jokes that i'd written and stuff like that and it was really lo-fi but it kind of also mirrored the early days of youtube as a platform where it was Mm -hmm. like not everything was as polished you didn't have youtube stars it was it was somebody doing like dissections of old tv shows and another guy sticking a bottle rocket in his asshole so (laughs) You know, speaking of streaming, I was so bummed this year when October 1st landed and the only streaming service that really did like a nope, it's different now. Like we're in spooky season. So we have a whole new collection, you know, a whole new library to go through was Criterion. The Criterion channel launched their 80s horror and their vampire horror and they brought back their Universal Horror Classics collection for October. But like even Shudder, I don't really, they didn't really add much at the beginning of October. So it was just kind of like, eh. Well, that was something I always, I think my first semester at university, we had AMC and they had the Hammer movies and the Universal movies. And that was the only place where you'd see those movies. And then it was like the next year I was like, okay, I've got to get to a a venue that has AMC. (laughs) And then I showed up and it was almost like things had started to change where it was like, we're going to show, start showing more modern movies, which is nothing wrong with that. But at the time, where else are you going to see, you know, Spanish Dracula or Curse of Frankenstein? Yeah, we've moved away from that. But, you know, I guess they still do AMC uh, Monster Fest or Fright Fest or whatever they're calling it now. And... There are still, you know, Joe Bob is still doing his thing. 
during the pandemic, Melissa LaMartina and Chris yes. LaMartina were doing their Aurora Gorealis shows on Facebook Live, which were amazing. Yeah, those are great. They're not doing them now because they're touring with... They're doing the new movie and then doing the live shows. So Yeah. But yeah, there are people kind of stepping up and doing things and there's always room for more. But I think that like, yeah, where we're going to fit into this, at least in this moment, is to discuss the Halloween specials yes. of your... <laughs> And you have your your syllabus. I do. You've you've brought your killabus because uh, <laughs> you are a deducation professional. There, I got more of these. I know you do. It's it's one of my favorite parts of your show. <laughs> Thanks. And I th- I thought we'd go in chronological order. Okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna let you take the floor with your first Halloween special. Of course, that would be the Halloween that almost wasn't which aired on ABC in 1979. It stars Judd Hirsch as Dracula. And it begins with a Dracula and his butler assistant watching TV, and there's a rumor going around that Halloween is going to be canceled. And everyone's kind of, you know, families are at home carving pumpkins, and they're like, you know, We've, oh no, what will happen? We've celebrated Halloween for thousands of years. Like, you know, what's up with that? So Dracula is like, we have to put a stop to this. Call all the big monsters. I'm calling a meeting. So they call the Frankenstein's monster, the Wolfman, a mummy, a zombie, <laughs> a zombie, yeah, and a witch, Zabar the zombie, yeah. yeah. And Dracula immediately starts reading them the riot act, saying that they've they've become too commercial. And then it comes out that the witch is the one. She's the holdup. Because for Halloween to really commence, she has to fly on her broom over the moon. And she's not doing it this year in a very pro-labor message. Yeah. She has some demands. She wants to be a co-equal leader of the monsters along with Dracula, since the party doesn't start unless she does her thing. So the whole special is essentially a collection of gags and goof-em-ups. <laughs> Yeah. Where Dracula is trying desperately to get the other monsters to make the witch do his bidding. And he tries to turn into a bat to, to sneak in and hypnotize her, and that doesn't work. And eventually it takes the power of two rosy-cheeked children begging her to fly over the moon so that they can have Halloween. Yes. And it's, it's a wonderful yeah. little, little movie. I love the cast of this film. Yes. It has... A lot of great veteran television and film actors. This is like a, a pretty early role for Judd Hirsch. Yeah. And it's you know, it pre-Dear John. Oh, man, I, I watched the heck out of that when I was a kid. I love Dear John. That's, <laughs> that's also why I'm a big Jerry Burns fan. Yeah. That show. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's terrific in it, doing a really, really hammy Lugosi impression. Yeah. And then you've got Henry Gibson as Igor. Yes. Who is, I mean... He's doing a Boris Karloff yeah. voice, which works really well. And he's kind of the butt of a lot of Dracula's jokes. Yeah. You have John Shuck as the Frankenstein monster, and he would go on to be Herman Munster in yes. Monsters Today. And he was in Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. He's another veteran. He was did a bunch of Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek, several Western shows. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was one of those guys. Jack Riley. He plays the werewolf. Yeah. The allergy prone, bad back, complaining werewolf. 
Yeah, there's a lot of cowardly lion in that performance, which I appreciate. Yes. Clear reference points yeah. for all of these. And I, I find it interesting that Henry Gibson is doing a Karloff when, you know, the original portrayer of Igor was Lugosi, but yeah. you can't have two people doing Lugosi in this thing. Yeah. And then they they reference young Frankenstein like vaguely because the monster likes to tap dance. And Dracula says, ever since you saw that movie, all you want to do is dance. Um, which and is, he's, I mean, he's definitely doing Herman Munster there yes, too. It's not, absolutely. he's not doing Karloff or Glenn Strange or Lon Chaney or even Lugosi Frankenstein. He's very lovable. So I used to watch this in the late 80s, early 90s. Disney would have their Halloween programming. So they have their, I was around for Disney Halloween treat, I think. They had a couple of other iterations of basically the same show. And then this would air alongside... Mr. Boogity, I think, was another one. Yeah, so that's how I watched this a lot, was on the Disney Channel, because it premiered on October 28th on ABC, but then it became a regular staple of the Disney programming block between 83 and 96. Yeah. So that's, yeah, this, Mr. Boogity, Bride of Boogity. And then Witch's Night Out was a part of that as well, for me anyway. Yeah, and I remember watching the hell out of this as a kid and then growing up and learning that it was made in the 70s because it with the exception of the disco stuff at the end it didn't really feel like a 70s show to me it felt pretty modern and still kind of does feel pretty evergreen there's you know for good or ill there's a lot of dna i think it shares with rob zombies the monsters which i have not finished yet (laughs) yeah i you know that one grew on me yeah. I, I watched it and then started to think about it. And I was like, you know, I, I'm as a dad, I'm constantly looking for things that everyone yeah. will enjoy and not just not just kid stuff. And that was one that my two year old daughter, I think it was all the bright colors. They had the same reaction to Pee Wee's Playhouse. But yeah, I really like this special. I feel you're right. It has a great cast and in and, and super, super simple plot line. Most most Halloween specials have a super simple plot line. Yeah, but this is a lot of fun. Yeah. But some deep themes, some resonant themes. Like I you know, I don't want to be the guy that's like, well, what does the Halloween that almost wasn't say about us in 2022? But like, you know, there's some evergreen subject matter here. Dracula is a bad boss. You know, <laughs> yes. we're talking about like a union busting, don't listen to the employees type CEO who wants to take credit for everyone else's work. Yeah, and they're all afraid of him. Yeah, they're and they're all afraid. This is the other thing is his cronyism. Yeah. Is that like the and there's and there's a women's lib? Yes, definitely. She's the she's the only female yeah. monster. She's the only she's the only woman monster in this boys' club yeah. of a monster industry, a male-dominated industry. And she's trying to like, well, no, this is what I want yeah. here. And this is the work that I do. And all of the male monsters are all like cronies. They're all trying to like back up the boss yeah well and they're all pretty weak too they're all they're all these really kind of sweet yes men and she's the only one that like is very is just as forceful as dracula is yeah like well she's the only one yeah that ever presents a threat like when she when she conjures the three musketeers yes And then uh, Henry Gibson, you know, Igor is constantly giving Dracula advice. Oh, no, you should try to do this, boss. Yeah. So, yeah, it's got a lot of these things that we are still talking about, you know, and and it's addressing the idea, too, that a theme that I always like is the idea of are monsters scary anymore? And that's, you know, that's at the heart of this as well is this idea of like, well, what scares us 
changes and what used to scare us doesn't scare us anymore. And there's this whole, if you get into like, you know, universal monster academia world, (laughs) there's always this talk about, well, Abbott and Costello ruined the monsters and, and made it not scary anymore. And it's like, okay, well, it wasn't scary anymore anyway. Yeah. But well, the, you know, your audience, a 1930s depression era audience is is not going to align culturally with the with the post-war World War Two yeah. America. You know, <laughs> like that is something that that I do think about often and find fascinating is that like Abbott and Costello gave them more longevity culturally. Exactly. And then you have the shock package in the 50s and 60s that put them on TV. Mm-hmm. So that extended it. And then it was a weird like amalgamation of like surf culture. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Car culture. Yeah. And, and punk culture. And like punk it which, culture, yeah. which which filtered into punk rock. Yeah. Yeah. And the nineteen seventies we get like the Misfits is the horror punk band of like the Lynchpin. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a discussion to have of like, are they still scary? But we still do have still do have scary vampire movies. Like Let the Right One In. Is a is a scary vampire yeah. movie. There's still scary werewolf movies. So I I would say that those movies aren't scary, but their children and grandchildren are very scary. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Exactly. You you get desensitized to certain anxieties. As I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm I'm a big fan of Halloween that almost wasn't, aka the night Dracula saved the world. <laughs> I love the disco. Yeah. I love that Dracula is just a petty, vindictive boss and that the witch, Marriott Hartley, is this, you know, no, I'm coming into this workforce and, and I've got demands. I am labor. My labor has value. Yeah. You, ca- you can't start this party without me. There's no way. And I, and I will not be abducted by a bunch of men. This is gendered yeah. violence. You're trying to hypnotize me. That's gaslighting. Like, yeah, they tried to go into her house and kidnap her. Even Dracula's interactions with the other monsters, too, where he's like, they're not your feet to Frankenstein. Yeah. And Frankenstein's like, why do you have to bring that up? Like, you know, that's emotional abuse that <laughs> yeah. he's, he's engaging in there. But if you are wanting to watch the Halloween that almost wasn't, I do highly recommend it. And if you want something that's similar, your extra dreaded assignment for the Halloween that almost wasn't is 1978's Witch's Night Out. It is animated. It is another story about a witch becoming disillusioned with her place in society. And it's Gilda Radner and Catherine O'Hara. And it is terrific. It's another one of my favorite Halloween specials. And there's also the Great Bear Scare. Have you ever seen that? I have a long, long time ago when I was a kid. So we had a Halloween carnival, not to... Not to make my childhood seem like a Ray Bradbury story, but uh, kind of <laughs> looking back, it kind of was super small town. Yeah. We had a Halloween carnival every year, including cakewalks. Oh, um, cakewalks. We had those at the spring fling. We didn't yeah. do them at the Halloween carnivals. And then if you weren't, you know, if you were a kid that were just tired of being around all the crowds, you could go into this other classroom where they were just screening like Halloween movies for kids. And that was one of them. I think that was the last time I ever saw the Great Bear Scare. Oh, it's still fun. Yeah, it's still fun. It's another movie that positions Count Dracula as like the leader of the monsters. Yes. And there's, you know, he's like in charge of Halloween. And yeah. And he wants to, he's like, people aren't afraid of us anymore. So both of these films have kind of uh, things in common with the Halloween that almost wasn't. And one of my projects that I wanted to do in college was a German expressionist style 
short, silent adaptation of The Witch's Night Out. And I really wanted to do it. And I, I just never did it. Someday, maybe someday. Totally. Yeah, that's one. The animation's strange, but beautiful. Canadian production. Oh, the animation is so unique. It's Yeah, it's really weird, but it suits the material. And like, yeah, they did a heck of a job on that one. And super short, a lot shorter than I remember when I was a kid. It's quick, it's to the point, and it's it's imaginative, and it's wild, and yeah, it's just got it's got a lot of I just I love it. Gilda Radner's amazing. Yeah. It. Up next, we have Garfield's Halloween Adventure or Garfield in Disguise, nineteen eighty five, aired on CBS. Yeah, it was the fourth of twelve Garfield specials. Basically, the premise is Garfield is watching TV. Binky the Clown announces that it's Halloween. And he's like, I want candy. And then he and Odie dress up as pirates and they take to the streets and they get a lot of candy and Garfield's greed gets the better of him. Mm -hmm. So he's going to cross this this river or lake or whatever it is in a boat and get more candy. He tells Odie to row or to put the oars out. Odie just flops the oars out and, and then they drift toward the other side of the lake where there's this creepy mansion. They find an old man sitting in a chair who is animated horrifically compared to the other. He is one of the scariest characters in children's animated yes. television ever. Yeah, we get the sweet, like, rounded animation, and then we get this apple head doll of a man <laughs> that tells them that this group of pirates has buried their treasure underneath the mansion and that they're coming to get it. So then we get these really cool animated shots of like a ghost ship coming and ghost pirates. And it turns into like, a, for kids, a pretty scary turn for a Halloween special. And ultimately, Garfield and Odie escape, go back to the house, and they see the man they just met as like a horror host, kind of <laughs> hosting a, on TV, a pirate <laughs> marathon, which is really, a you know, I... I just get so tired of all the pirate movie marathons that happen. Yeah, I know. It's uh, like, can we get a break from yeah. the pirate movies already? Oh, God. I love that detail because it's like, really, there's one horror movie pirate movie. Yeah. And it's The Fog by it's John fog, Carpenter. Yeah. yeah. There are no others. So it's like the idea that pirate movies are scary or is it just, well, it's November 1st. So now we're just showing pirate movies because Halloween's over and we're just doing pirate. We, we look... The network bought a really cheap package of pirate <laughs> movies. It's all, you know, it's all swashbuckling stuff. We just got to show it. And, but Garfield is so traumatized from his encounter with ghost pirates that even just the word pirate is a trigger for him now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's going to stay up and watch TV to kind of come down from the night and then sees that on TV and is like, I'm going to go back to bed. Yeah. This has something that I, that makes me think of Halloween. Mm -hmm. And it comes up in, one of my favorite episodes of Bob's Burgers. And it's the trick-or-treating and then going to a place you've never been to before yes. to get more candy. There's an episode of Bob's Burgers called Full Bars. Full Bars. Which is, they always do a really good Halloween episode every year, but that one is still my favorite because it feel, to me it feels like you could extend that whole premise into a whole movie. Yep. The kids end up traveling via ferry to the, to a rich island to get full full bars since everyone in their on their street is giving out like ketchup packets and and stuff yeah. and they end up getting attacked by miscreants who are trying to 
pelt them with piss water balloons. <laughs> Which is, you know, I have no idea how Halloween actually is for kids today. But being someone who like was born in the early 80s and, and was a little kid throughout the 80s and the 90s, there was a danger to Halloween. Yes. That doesn't seem to be there anymore, at least from my perspective. Like in the 80s, w- what some people called like joking was assault (laughs) by today's standards. Yeah. And Garfield's Halloween adventure has a little bit of that, like just a taste of danger. You're out by yourself, you know, the world's your oyster and you decide to go, go even further into this Mm -hmm. dark and scary world. Exactly. It calls back my experience as a kid on Halloween where it was like, there was something dangerous about it. There's something anarchic about yeah. it. It was, There was a misrule element to it where it was like, the kids are out. The adults are not in charge. Yeah. We can do whatever. And of course, we couldn't do whatever. No. And, and it wasn't dangerous, dangerous in the way that like, you know, the moral panic nutcases would have you believe it's dangerous. Nobody's putting razor blades or fentanyl or rat poison in your candy. And really, know, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird the what the I don't know what the quadrants are, you know, as yeah. far as like where where do we cross the line? You know, but I remember being scared on Halloween sometimes yeah. of, you know, teenagers in werewolf masks or yeah. Well, we couldn't keep a pumpkin from getting smashed. Oh yeah, no. And that was a thing with the with the teenagers every year. Like they would go around and steal pumpkins and just smash them. Yeah. And when you're a little kid, it pisses you off because you work, you work hard on the pumpkins. Yeah. Well, and it feels like a violation, too. And it feels, yeah. you know, even if you're not a kid that's like about the rules, it feels unfair. Yeah, it is. It, there is an unfairness. But that's also true. Like these these kids weren't just going around on foot. They had a pickup trucks that they were tearing down the streets with. Oh, well, that's cheating. Some you can't them, do that. Yeah. Some of them were, were in horrifying costumes. You'd get harassed. <laughs> Yeah, that's part of it too, right? Like it's like you also do need that to a degree. I think if the anarchic quality of this night and the magic of that is really to feel immersive, like you do need, you know, like, oh, that's a little dangerous. Like, oh, there's these bigger kids that are doing shit that's mean and awful. Yeah, And it's not ruining Halloween. It's just another part of the spookiness. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you get in your costumes, you're excited. Like you probably, if it was a school day, you came off of a Halloween party at school. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's this big thing. So, yeah. And there's a bit of that in one of the pairings that I'll talk about later, but also in the Pete and Pete Halloween episode, which oh, is yeah. one, of, one of my personal favorites that has that kind of idea of like the dark forces of Halloween. Yeah. But Garfield's Halloween Adventure does a thing with it where the Scaredy Cat musical number yeah. with Lou Rawls. It's one of what two songs, I think, or maybe three that Lou Rawls sings. But it's the one where he's out and with the other kids and he pulls the mask off of, you know, a kid and it's there. No, there's actually a monster. Under yeah. There. And it's he's out in this world and it's like, no, 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 no. The veil is thin. There are creatures of the night out here. And then that decision to go even further with it to be like, well, we're going to go to this house. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? You're already not safe. Yeah. First of all, you're you're an animal. Yeah. <laughs> You've wallered your leg into this peg leg. <laughs> but he also, he learns a lesson about... He learns a lesson about greed. Like, one of the hallmarks of Garfield as a character is just he's shitty to Odie all the time. And Odie's kind of his 
unwilling wingman throughout the evening and Mm -hmm. trying to be his conscience, like saying, like, I don't want to do this. Please, can we not do this? Yeah. And I think it does what Halloween as a holiday and the best Halloween media does is that it takes you on a ride that's a little bit scary, gets really terrifying, and then kind of brings you back to safety. Mm-hmm. And Halloween as a holiday is a part of that. Like like yeah. you were saying, you go out and it's everyone's in costume and you get to go to strangers' houses and then there's this other contingent committing minor crimes maybe. And if you're off by yourself, there's that element of it too where it's like we can do whatever we want. Like uh, just enough freedom to feel dangerous. Yeah. And then you end up back home with your candy and kind of safe. And then it's and then it's November. (laughs) I mean, it's what horror movies are. And that's the thing I think that I always appreciated about this. And it's why it was always, I think, of the major animated Halloween specials. It was always my favorite because it's the only one I can think of that actually is telling a horror story. Yeah. Yeah. And and for kids, look, obviously, if you're an adult, you're not scared of it. No. But for kids, there's some scary stuff in here. And it's yeah. it's safe scary. It's that comfort horror. And I love that. I love the the weird chiming sound of the of the clock, the like almost electronic chime sound and the way that the ghosts are animated. It's so spooky and eerie. Yeah, it doesn't look like any the old man and the ghosts don't look like anything else in the special, so they already stand out. The, that actor, Lindsay Workman, doing the voice of that yeah. old man. I mean, it's so, it gets into you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's just a great, and it aired initially in 85 on October mm-hmm. 30th with It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown from mm-hmm. 1966, which is the other special that I think I would pair it with. Yeah. Because it's the two, you know, it's the Freddy and Jason of animated Halloween specials. It's the, yeah. the, the two big names. It's the Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> is Garfield and Charlie Brown. Well, and you have the anarchic spirit of Garfield and then mm-hmm. sort of the the sweet sentimentality of of Charlie Brown. Yeah. And the Charlie Brown one is a bummer. Like that's <laughs> the other thing is that I always liked the Garfield one better as a kid because it was like, no, it's magic. There's yeah. there's supernatural stuff whereas Charlie Brown's was just like it's all about how belief in magic is pointless. And yeah. how life will find a way to disappoint you and put a rock in your bag. Yeah. Do we have to give children rocks? <laughs> yeah. Like, what who's asshole. doing that? What neighborhood is this? <laughs> it's, it's further proof of my theory that Charlie Brown died as a baby or as a <laughs> child and is like in purgatory now, just forever haunted in this Midwestern hellscape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where just and nobody likes him. Nothing works out for him. I mean, he's on a Jacob's Ladder, at least, <laughs> is, is where Charlie Brown is. And this this special, I never appreciated it. I always hated it as a kid because it yeah. felt sad. Yeah. And as an adult, it's where I watch that special. and I'm like, oh, yeah, life sucks, kids. That's what this is about. <laughs> yeah, there's a, like a that. And, and since you brought it up, Pete and Pete both have this sort of sweet melancholy. Yeah. That captures an element of childhood that is keenly felt, but not really explored very often. It's articulating an elegy yeah. that as kids, we just know it as like, you know, I don't know, the Sunday scaries or something, you know, yeah, <laughs> or like, exactly. you know, summer's coming to an end. It's that kind of a thing. And the other, I think another one I would pair it with is from 1979, Raggedy Ann and Raggedy yeah. Andy in The Pumpkin Who Couldn't Smile, because that one, man, that, that one's also about like depression. Yeah. 
there's a terrible authority figure parent in it. And yeah, it's all about these two characters who want to make Halloween special for a kid who's not allowed to celebrate Halloween. Yeah. And provide a home for a pumpkin who definitely has suicidal ideation of some sort. <laughs> like this pumpkin, we need to medicate this pumpkin for sure. He was carved with a sad face. If that's not a metaphor for being born with clinical depression, I don't know what is. I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> this also, Garfield's Halloween Adventure won an Emmy. Yeah. For out- Outstanding Animated Program, a primetime Emmy, no less. And so did actually Halloween that almost wasn't won uh, an Emmy for yeah. Outstanding Individual Achievement in a Children's Program. Oh, that's right. And it was nominated for three more Emmys on top of that. So Halloween specials used to mean something to us, <laughs> you know? Speaking of, <laughs> we, we went from two kids specials to a little more of an adult special. Yes. I wanted to have at least one adult piece, and that's Elvira's MTV Halloween special from 1986. This one is, you get the impression that they didn't have a lot of money and stories that I've heard about MTV from that era indicate that this is the case where there was actually more creativity than there was financial <laughs> financial backing. It's weird because this is also 86, mm-hmm. two years before she did another Halloween special for MTV. Yeah. And in that one, it's like, I got a bunch of like celebrities in it, yeah. like bona fide celebrities in it. And John Paragon was in it and co-wrote, who's like a longtime collaborator with Elvira, Cassandra Peterson. You know, he's part of that Groundlings pack. But in this one, there's no John Paragon. There's no celebrities. It seems a little less polished or less like uh, there was less behind it. There was less push behind it. And it's essentially like a collection of skits. Elvira travels to Salem, Massachusetts, and is kind of interviewing people on the street. There are several fake commercials for products, some of which are really funny. Yes. And then it kind of it kind of leads up to Elvira giving her top 10 music videos for that year. And I, I tried to research and I couldn't find if these were Cassandra Peterson's favorites or if they just gave her a list. Yeah, I don't know. They're, I feel like some of them are things that she chose. There's some interesting choices because like there's a song from Godzilla 1985. There's a song from Psycho 3. Yeah. And it's weird that they even have music videos for these. So yeah, I think of the ones I've chose, it's the most bare bones. But I feel like, and this goes into what we were talking about at the start, that Cassandra Peterson's Elvira has been like a linchpin of Halloween since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And it's also, I don't really think we have anyone like that anymore where it wasn't just Halloween like she would also appear on talk shows in character she had a review I think it was at Knott's Berry Farm there for a while yeah and her along with Pee Wee Herbin Paul Rubens also a groundling would appear in character together sometimes and like we don't have those kind of celebrity alter egos anymore yeah I can't think of any off the top of my head right now I mean I guess you could count I feel like there's got to be one. I'm just not. Yeah, I don't. Well, and same with like, like Mr. T, you know, Mr. T is. Mr. T, Tiny Tim. Yeah. Downtown Julie Brown. Yes. uh, Non-downtown regular Julie Brown was kind (laughs) of the same thing. Yeah. These characters that 
an entertainer would come up with. Yeah, I mean, there's people that did comics and, and actors, et cetera, that have like a persona. Yeah. That's not really the same thing. It's not a full on alter ego, you know, the drag queens, I think yeah. is, is the, is, is all we have in that regard anymore yeah. is drag queens. And that's kind of what we're talking about here is a form of drag. Yeah. Cause Andrew Peterson is a, is a queer icon, borrowed her look from drag performers at the time. Yeah. And Myla Normie. I mean, yeah. it's that's the other thing is horror hosts. Yeah, we don't have those anymore, really. <laughs> yeah, but Elvira was like my first crush. So like, yeah, she was she was everywhere in the 80s and early 90s. And she's managed to be everywhere. But yeah, horror hosts are kind of an anachronism now. Mm-hmm. Like, she's still around doing it sometimes. Joe Bob's still doing his. And then there's like a, a YouTube community or a streaming community. Yeah, that, yeah there are people that, that do, do it that do like a on the web, but yeah, Melissa La Martina uh, or Gorealis does a really great show. Uh, Sven Gulli's still on Sven TV. Gulli, yep. Yeah. But like, I, I was thinking of, you know, when my son gets old enough showing him fright night, which is one of my favorite horror movies. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, how do how you, you even ex- explain <laughs> Peter Vincent as a character? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, did you have a horror host when you were a kid? Like that was like regional. no, I looked it up and Colorado had one, but there's no other than a little bit of writing. I think in the paper, there was no record of this person. We had the regional clown. We had Blinky the clown when I was, when I was a kid and then everything got bought up by major networks and we don't have regional things. They kind of took over all that. Yeah. We had, when I was in Iowa, there were, we had Bozo the clown because that was WGN Chicago. Yeah. The Iowa horror hosts were off the air by the time I was born, I think. We moved to New Jersey for two years when I was a kid, and we had Stella, the man-eater from Maniac. She was a horror host, and she had this show called Saturday Night Dead. Ah. And that was my horror host when I was a kid for the two years that I lived in New Jersey, and then, and then that was it. We moved back to Iowa where there were no horror hosts. How dare my parents? <laughs> You know, that's another cultural touchstone that like was an anachronism when we were kids, even though they were still around that today is just even even more so. But yeah, but in 1986, you know, she's a celebrity. She's a she's a pitch woman. She's on commercials. She's advertising beer. Yeah, she's selling Coors beer, mug root beer. You can go on YouTube and just find a never ending ticker tape of, of Elvira commercials. And they're all fucking awesome. And then, yeah, she had Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, the movie. Which was two years after this, I think. I think or? so. Yeah. And that one's really good. Like you said, John That's Paragon great. helped her write it. And it has an excellent message. Like, she's this freak that shows up in this quaint Norman Rockwellian town and is lusted after by the men, but is hated by the by the older folks and women. Yeah, including Edie McClurg. Edie McClurg <laughs> doing, doing an excellent turn. Yeah, just a blast. And I, I think I put this on the list primarily to talk about Elvira as like a as a character and as like yeah. a cultural figure because we just don't have anything like that anymore. This special kind of represents a, almost a nexus point of a lot of things because yeah. you have Elvira who is a horror host, but also, you know, an icon for other reasons. Yeah. And, you know, it's the Halloween special, which is also a thing that we don't really have to this degree anymore and it's on mtv yeah 
even I remember even in the 90s, it was already a joke of, hey, do you remember when MTV used to play music videos? When it originally aired, it was four hours long. And there were music videos throughout. And then it all led up to her top 10 countdown. Yeah. So there were a lot of music videos in it as well, which was MTV's thing. So this is, yeah, it's this weird merging of a bunch of different phenomena that we have no way of contextualizing anymore if you weren't alive for it. Yeah. Well, and now that we have a backlog of of so many music videos, now we have like some truly great like horror themed or Halloween themed music videos that it would be really great if they do a version of this again. Oh, yeah. It'd be neat to see them return to that. But and there are still people now like smaller acts that put that make videos and put them out to, you know, advertise their upcoming albums or whatever. Like, yeah, my friends in Giant Waste of Man cut a video. The L.A. group uh, Talene Kali cut a video recently. Both of them actually pretty horror themed. So cool. if there's a horror host out there looking to introduce music videos, uh, I recommend Talene Kali's Only Lovers Left Alive and Giant Waste of Man's AMPM. Both uh, kind of horror music videos, if you're looking to do that, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's also, there's a sketch show quality to it and a yeah. variety show quality to it. She's doing man on the street stuff. She's got a little funny bit with the cops and with yeah. the people she's interviewing. I love when she tells the guy to walk under a ladder. Yeah, those are really cool. And you get the sense that she's really good at doing that without any prompts. Yeah, and the commercials are dark. You know, the night nightmare mansion Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Her boyfriend, Satan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, there's an anarchic spirit to it when she's yeah. messing with the cops. And that video they show for a song called Hollywood Halloween. Yeah. And it's, it's a fascinating just snapshot. It of is. Hollywood, which is not a cool place. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood Boulevard on a Halloween night and people in costumes. And there's a shot of someone in a Reagan mask and somebody else putting a gun to their head. And it's like only on MTV in 1986. Could yeah. you have gotten away with that? Like, yeah, <laughs> like they didn't have a standards and practices guy being like, Hey, don't maybe chill out on the video of someone holding a handgun to Ronald Reagan's face. Yeah. Maybe they did, but they were like, we're still short five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I guess. My hands are tied then. We yeah. need every spare bit of film we can we can muster. Yeah, which is how we got the Halloweenies, roasting Halloweenies sketch, which I think is fucking brilliant too. It's <laughs> Yeah, it's very it's very handmade special, which once again, we don't see that kind of stuff anymore because even even YouTube or even TikTok is starting to get more yeah. and more like polished, which is completely understandable. That's the way all these things go. But there is a charm, I think, to mm -hmm. things that are like rough or half made. <laughs> well, and speaking of the charm of things that are rough and half made, my extra dreaded assignment <laughs> for the Elvira 1986 Halloween special is the 1976, 10 years earlier, Paul Lynn's Halloween special, which I don't even know if I need to say anything about it. If you've heard of it, you've heard of it. It's yeah. notoriously messy. It's a thing that you know, Paul Lind, whatever cachet he had, whatever <laughs> status he had, it was just like, well, we're going to give him a bunch of specials. We don't know why we're giving this to him. We're going to make jokes in the special about us giving him a special. 
Yeah. It's going to be on network television. Everyone is going to be talking about it. Will it feel like Halloween? In places, maybe. (laughs) Who should host it with him? Oh, Margaret fucking Hamilton, for some reason. Uh, Which And she's terrific, by the way. She's amazing. She is. Witchy poo. Witchy poo from HR Puff and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And then Kiss. It really is like... Like, if you were to imagine a 1970s TV special, this is what you would think. Like, an executive is just like, all right, yeah. <clears throat> what what's Kiss up to? Let's check in on the birth of cocaine entertainment yeah. culture here. Where are we on the trucker sketch? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not enough rhinestones on his jacket for the trucker sketch. Oh, let's get Billy Barty in there. Billy Barty! Like, they have a great... Betty White is in there. Yeah. <laughs> Florence Henderson's in there. Don, Donnie and Marie. Donnie and Marie are in the very beginning. Yeah, it's worth a watch. Paul Lin- And this is a great pick, Andy, because he is another, <laughs> like Elvira, a queer icon, but also his persona, you know, he was, he was in Bye Bye Birdie. He had a career. Yeah. But he was also... I would say probably mostly famous for like talk show appearances, guest spots where he was just this fun guy that would come on and do and be Paul Lind. Yeah, exactly. He's he was famous for being him. Yeah. And it's like, was it even an alter ego? You know, like, sure. Part of it was him being on. But this is who this guy was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I just yeah, I think it's fun because it's it's another thing that's kind of like, well, they clearly had resources. Yeah. But that's about all they had, it seems. And they didn't know what to do with most of it. So it is a mess. The kiss thing is is wild because it's also just like, what the fuck were they doing? On, you know, on this? like there's that punk rock spirit that would influence MTV. Yeah. It's kind of here in the Paul Lynn special of all places. Like, yeah. how are you? How are you getting away with this? Well, and you get the sense that with the kiss bit that he had no idea who these guys were. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No clue. But it's also a good illustration too, that like, despite kisses image and all the moms protesting them, their music was pretty milk toast. You know, it's not what is the stuff that's as upsetting. The comedian, I think you're friends with him. Winslow Dumain. Oh, (laughs) there's a kiss bit where he's like, they look like they, are demons, but then they sing songs about partying all night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is this dad rock? What is going on? Yeah. And then Florence Henderson does a song at the very end. It's like a disco number. A lot of yeah, crane hey, another, shots. Anytime a Halloween special ends in disco, I'm happy. Yeah. This is like two for two <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one for at least one watch because it's just like, you're never bored. Because your senses are constantly being assaulted by just entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting mess starring a queer icon. So Paul Lind Halloween special. Uh, Check it out. (laughs) (laughs) So up next, I chose the Halloween Tree animated adaptation of the Ray Bradbury novella from 1993. This is a super faithful adaptation of the Bradbury story. A bunch of kids are all excited about going out trick-or-treating for Halloween. It is in a time period that's like timeless. It could be could be the 1930s. It could be the 1990s. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really have a time period. 
They go to pick up their friend Pip, who's like the leader of their group, and he's sick and he has to stay home. And then they end up winding their way into the woods and finding this old house and this tree <laughs> just decked out in jack-o'-lanterns. And this old man named Mr. Moundshroud lives in the house and basically takes them on a tour of macabre uh, errata and ritual throughout the ages. So like Day of the Dead, the mummies of Egypt, and all through the guise of like Pip is so sick that his soul is leading him through space and time up to the very end where they realize what's going on, that Mr. Moundshroud is like death and that he is going to be taking Pip to the afterlife. And they all offer up a year of their own lives to save their friend. Beautiful piece. Yeah. Really well done. And it suits the material for being like, you know, the danger of Halloween night, the symbolism, and then the beautiful sentimentality for which Ray Bradbury was known. Yeah. It's got a lot of Garfield's Halloween adventure meets It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, you yeah. know, but for older kids, maybe. Yeah. It's not the it's not that the subject is graphic or or upsetting, it's but it's complex and it's challenging. And yes. by having this element of a kid potentially dying, it's got yeah. No, this is what is really scary in life. Mortality is really the face of all of our anxieties. And that's what the season is about. You know, that's what Halloween is. And this is the history of why it's a celebration, but why it's a bittersweet celebration. What these different cultures sort of put in the trick-or-treat bag that gets handed down through the generations of religious syncretism. Well, and... Where there's always, <laughs> you brought it up earlier, there's always the moral panic that follows certain pieces of media. And and Halloween, I remember being a kid and one of my friends, I was like, hey, you know, I'm going to be this for Halloween. What are you going to be? He was like, nothing, because it's the devil's holiday. Yeah. <laughs> Just being like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> and I think there is a, you know, I've talked to my my friends who don't who celebrate Halloween, but who don't care for horror stuff like I do about it being a healthy practice to examine the darker sides of our lives. And that's essentially what this what this special is about. I recently watched a video where I think it was Guillermo del Toro's at a an award ceremony and someone asks him, you clearly have a, a childlike imagination, but you examine all these dark things like to what do you attribute that? skill to and he was like oh i'm mexican and we just don't have like other cultures have i think a healthier outlook of mortality and the darker side of life than we do here in the united states yeah it exists and it finds its way bubbling to the surface often but we have this horrible habit of tamping it down and making sure that everyone's sanitized i guess david j scowl in his book death takes a holiday kind of gets into that a little bit about our reluctance as a culture. And I think it's, it's truer now than ever, that, that idea yeah. of like, we're afraid to confront our own mortality. We're afraid of aging. We're afraid of dying. We're afraid of addressing that, which also means we're afraid of addressing grief and loss and healthy forms of mourning. Yeah. So it becomes this discomfort that we're unwilling to sit with. And that's what Halloween, I think, historically has been about in different cultures. And through the process of syncretism of churches coming in and saying, well, when are people partying anyway? 
oh, on these days. Okay, yeah. well, we're just going to put a new face on their holiday and it's going to be about something else now. And it's messy and it's it becomes a task of not to god but the metaphors are coming to me but it's like <laughs> pulling the guts out of a pumpkin you know it's like it's that difficult yeah. of trying to sort out like okay what are the seeds here and what's just rind and what's pulp and what's so i think it's appropriate that this adaptation which is of a book from 1972 that yeah even the book is darker than this cartoon obviously they're going to yeah. tone it down a little bit but the cartoon still has some stuff in it that's kind of surprising. Yeah, I remember watching this when I was in high school by accident. I think it, Cartoon Network was airing it or something like that. And I was just so surprised by this cartoon dealing with such serious <laughs> ideas. Yeah, there's a lot of supernatural stuff in it, but the threat is never the supernatural stuff. The threat is... Yeah the the banality of the fact that no we're all gonna die and none of us know when like that's that is the horror heart that beats in the center of this creature and it's it's mundane but bradbury has this way of making it into magic and poetry and i mean that that was his whole thing you know yeah he he gilded childhood with such poetry that nobody else like if you read any of his books it's like oh man that's what childhood felt like but that's not how i would have described it yeah. No, he's just, yeah, healthy inner child. But also Halloween stopped meaning something to him because Fellini, he was a huge fan of Fellini and he was friends with Fellini and Fellini died on Halloween. And oh, wow. after that, you know, Bradbury kind of became less about Halloween because it was a, a marker of grief for him, which is oh wow, I didn't cosmically know ironic considering... <laughs> what the Halloween tree is about. It's almost like he prophesied yeah. his own experience, you know, but much, much earlier. But Bradbury was a Disney fan. He loved Disney and he used to go to Disneyland on Halloween because they would decorate a tree in Disneyland with jack-o'-lanterns to look like the Halloween tree. And it was a big special thing they would do for him. And so he loved going to Disneyland. He was a big Disney guy. And that is why the extra dreaded assignment that I have chosen for this is, in any way you can see it, the Disney adaptation of The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, whether it's from the original Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad that premiered in October in theaters in 1949, but it's also it's an adaptation of a work of shorter fiction, and there's magic in it, but it's also kind of mundane. Like, the... the <laughs> like in what it's truly about and what it's truly talking yeah. about here. And I don't I don't want to say even much else about it because you've seen it. Everyone's seen it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, holy shit, watch it. <laughs> you know, there's that sequence when Ichabod is running from the horseman where he's seeing that like all of these things he thought were hoof sounds, you know, of the of the yeah. horse. It's actually these these willows beating on the on the log and then the crickets. He thinks it's his name, but it's the crickets. And yeah, Disney. They they've come around. They go in dips and waves, but like they used to have some fucking terrifying stuff in their cartoons. Yeah, and that's that's one of them. It really they do a heck of a job of with the atmosphere. Yeah, it's they do a great job with the atmosphere. The song, uh, the headless horseman's song, is terrific. And then yeah, when when the horseman cuts in with that laughter, when Ichabod and the horse are laughing. 
And then you just hear this third voice laughing. It's like genuinely like a jump scare. It's just great. It was part of Disney's Halloween treat in the 80s on TV. Yeah. But the Halloween tree is like, definitely recommend the book. Definitely recommend the the special. Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, he he voices Mr. Mountshroud and Bradbury himself delivers the narration. Yeah. Yeah, Brad Ray's, Ray's narrating and Leonard Nimoy is Carapace Clavicle Mountroud. <laughs> what a name. Yeah. What a name. And then also, I think Hanna-Barbera was the production company on the animation side of things. And you've got character actors, Mark L. Taylor and Lindsay Krauss doing voices, yeah. additional voices, which is funny to me because Mark Taylor is always like, is going to be the HBO commercial guy from my childhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's first and foremost when i see that guy's face it's like oh that's who you are you're not manly from arachnophobia you're always just gonna be the hbo commercial guy for me and Lindsay kraus was she's whitley streber's wife and oh and communion but also doing a voice is eden gross who is the voice of the good good guy dolls in the child's play movies Anyway, it won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing in an Animated Program, and it was nominated for Outstanding Animated Program. It deserves it. They did a hell of a job. Yeah, they did do a hell of a job. It's a really great special. It's a thing. I, it's one of those things. I didn't see it until I was an adult because I, I missed it somehow in the 90s. I was 20 or 21, I think, the first time I saw it. And I was like, how the fuck did I miss this? This is incredible. I loved the book. Yeah, it flew under the radar for me, too. So your final Halloween special, the final item on your syllabus. The final entry I have is Tiny Toons Night Goolery. And I picked this one because I I don't remember watching it when it aired. I don't know if it actually aired in October on Fox because all of the stuff that I read about it, it was intended to air in 94, but it wasn't finished, maybe? Yeah, May 1995. Yeah, you'd wonder why it would dump in May, but probably, yeah, wasn't finished or there was some thing happening at the studio. Yeah, so I am, as a father, I'm always looking for like spooky things I can show the kids that I will also enjoy. And my own son's tastes are above some of his contemporaries sometimes. But this is one of the first ones where we watched it together and I was like, oh, this is so incredibly clever. And I heard him from the other room reciting their version of Poe's The Telltale Heart. So what we have in this special is is essentially a it's an anthology of adaptations of other work. So we have Poe's The Telltale Heart, which is the Telltale Vacuum, I think. We have one that's it's a mix between The Hound of the Baskervilles and I would say American Werewolf in London, like the first part Mm -hmm. of American Werewolf, where Babs goes to this european pub and everyone's talking about this monster that's out on the out on the moors there's a few shorter ones we get a frankenstein one with elmira we get a twilight zone episode terror at twenty thousand feet where there's a gremlin on the wing but it's the old warner brothers gremlin (laughs) and then we get devil and daniel webster yeah it's it's plucky duck and the devil and then they do like a send-up of Abbott and Costello, but it's really more Bob Hope and Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. sort of their road movies with Hampton and Plucky. That's really good. I, I feel like if you're going to introduce a kid to 
horror in general, like through the ages, that would probably be a good one to show them. Like this is from Poe. This is from the Twilight Zone. This is from like this 1940s movie or whatever. And it's all really goofy and fun. Yeah, it is. And it's some of it's astonishingly clever. There's a dual parody in this, which is like what kid in the 90s had seen dual but that's very clearly the animators and writers being like, well, our boss is Steven Spielberg. Like, maybe he'll get a kick out of yeah. this one. There's a Night of the Living Dead thing, but it's like, it's almost a Gen X comment yeah. on Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, it's the advertising one. Yeah, that's cerebral. Yeah. I forget who said it, but they someone once said that Disney had the best animators, but Warner Brothers had the best characters. And I, I feel like that's, true and also in ways that like they brought it back in the 90s with tiny tunes and animaniacs but remember watching those old warner brothers cartoons and like celebrities from the day would appear so it's like yeah humphrey bogart peter laurie would be in there and they ended up doing that again in the 90s with you know you had the batman movie the keaton batman movies were going on at the time so sometimes michael keaton or they do a reference to mm -hmm. the batman movies those have a chance of becoming really dated, but I, I feel like that it doesn't work against the animations or the show in so much as it's like, oh, this is a time capsule of that time. You know what I mean? Whereas something like Shrek, I feel like ages like fine milk with all of their cultural references. Yeah, these are great. And if you've seen Quackbusters. Yes. The Looney Tunes Quackbusters, which is also kind of like a, a collection of previous cartoons that were thrown together in the same way that like Disney Halloween treat. God, I loved Quackbusters. Yeah, me too. I really, or, the monsters lead such interesting lives lounge song act. Yeah, that one, the Duxorcist, I remember. Yeah. That Warner Brothers did such great like post um, Universal Monsters horror examinations. Yeah, but Tiny Toons is especially interesting because like the original show was meant to be a feature initially and then you know at some point in like 88 or 89 they were like no nah, it's gonna be a television series and then then the pilot originally aired as a saturday morning thing on cbs but then they were like no we're gonna do an afternoon thing it's gonna be on fox instead of cbs and it's gonna be daily and we're gonna do first run syndication so it's just it's interesting because it was not the way this kind of stuff was done yeah. You know, with this kind of a property and with guys like Spielberg attached, you know, yeah. like it was very different. Then this special comes out three years after the show ends production. Yeah. And it's the last time that any of these characters are together for a thing under the name Tiny Toon. I was 15, I think, yeah. or about to turn 15 when this aired. So it was like, I'm already out. But Tiny Toons was one of those things that like, I watched it when I was 12 and 13 because it's like, yeah, it's that bit of kids stuff that I can still, it's not too childish. And there's stuff, references in it that I appreciate, but it will feed that inner child without upsetting the cynical teenager in me. You know? Yeah, you, you nailed it. Like 15, 14, 15 is right around the time when it's like, eh, it doesn't really do it for me anymore, but, I, but I'm still too young to be an adult. So it's this weird, you languish in this world where it's like, Ugh, everything sucks. <laughs> Which is kind of what Halloween is too. You yeah, know, it's, exactly. that, it's the, the veil is thin, but it's just the veil of puberty is thin here or whatever. It's, 
it's like that, you know, when winter's coming, you know, everything's yeah. about to die, but it's not dead yet. And that's sort of, you know, my childhood's about to die, but it's not dead yet. Yeah. And I think that Halloween specials are kind of like transcendent in that way, too, that they can be for kids and adults. Again, Night Ghoulery is a take on Night Gallery, which was yeah, a show but- that had not been on for over a decade. <laughs> At the time that this thing was made. Like, no kids watching this knew what Night Gallery was. But they did a good job with it, you know? They did, yeah. And particularly the Telltale Vacuum. They almost copy the script word for word, Edgar Allan Poe's story, to where it's, you know, Poe's writing at a time when he's getting paid by the word. (laughs) So there's, like, a lot of flowery language happening. And Plucky Duck is reciting this very, you know, very purple prose, archaic sort of language. And it's and it's gorgeous and hilarious to listen to. Yeah, that's the other thing, right? Like sort of in the way like, I don't know, Wishbone was probably yeah. an introduction to a lot of like classic literature for kids. Like totally. this Tiny Tunes was a way that we would like learn about Poe or yeah. Nathaniel Hawthorne or, some, or, you know, or yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle or all of these things. Sterling. There's Night Gallery and Twilight Zone in one here. Well, the first time I think I ever experienced opera was in a Warner Brothers cartoon. And I think a lot of people would say the same thing. Like Warner Brothers cartoons, more than Disney, kind of, they were a class on on culture. So like everything from Wagner's operas to like, you know, 1930s Hollywood politics. That's been kind of their stock and trade where... Not every kid's going to get it. Most of them won't get it. But there will be those that go on to read Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne. It's like, oh, I've seen this before. To watch Duel. And it's like, yeah, the very first time I watched Duel was in Tiny Tunes. Yeah. So my pick for this, my my extra dreaded assignment for Tiny Tunes Night Ghoulery is sort of a reversal as far as the production has. It's like an inversion of the principles that work with Night Ghoulery because, you know, Night Ghoulery was the final Tiny Tunes televised thing yeah and the thing i chose was the first was our introduction to a group of kids known as the midnight society nickelodeon's are you afraid of the dark yes and the first episode of this was actually a standalone halloween special that aired in canada in october of 1990 and then two years later was ordered to series for nickelodeon as are You Afraid of the Dark, a regular series. And I, if I remember correctly, I first saw it when it aired as a yeah. standalone special before the show became a part of you know the Saturday night lineup of SNCC. When it aired with the regular series, it was like the fourth episode, I think, yeah. or third, somewhere in there. But it was the first thing. It was a standalone Halloween special, and it was an adaptation of The, the Monkey's, Monkey's Paw. Monkey's Paw. Yeah, the story was the tale of the twisted claw, and it was really just the monkey's paw, but for kids. It has a little bit of that scary big kids thing in it, too. Yeah. Where on Halloween night, they, well, it's the night before Halloween, it's mischief night, and they're vandalizing stuff, and they scare a woman, that she knocks over a vase as revenge. When they come to her house to trick or treat, she gives them this twisted claw. It grants wishes, and, you know, be careful what you wish for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera one of the kids wishes for Halloween to be over and how it ends is a bunch of big kids bully them and take their candy <laughs> and scare them off. It captures that kitty horror feeling. Yeah. That, that Halloween is for uh, most of us. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a great introduction to the to the monkey's paw. Feels like Halloween. Like there's a witch. There's there's a magical item. And the when I rewatched it recently, the scene where the dog comes out. Oh man! I was like, oh, this dog's about to rip this kid apart. But no, he like distracts him. And the kid trips, and I was like, oh, that's right. I'm watching Nickelodeon. Like you're not gonna child endangerment is incredibly mild. But the the implication that his dead grandfather is coming in that car, like when that car rolls up at the end and you're like, oh, yeah, he just wished for his grandpa to be back to life. That's going to be a zombie coming out of there in true Tales from the Crypt fashion. But no. Are You Afraid of the Dark for me was was a staple. Like I watched it when it first aired to probably about season three was when I did my crossover to being kind of a real horror. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just a blast. Like you have you have this group of kids which feel like real characters, despite the fact that we don't really get a whole lot of background on mm-hmm. them telling these scary stories. It's a great anthology series. I think anthology horror is kind of unsung when it comes to introducing children to horror. I oh, think yeah. It's one of those things where it's like super necessary and it's a grab bag where you can kind of you may not like this one, but you're probably like the next one. And, yeah, exactly. It's and it's. I think a lot of times the best horror is the short stuff. Yeah, because it's it. That's what it's about is the scare, and you know you can only sustain that for so long. That's and true. So shorter stuff tends to work in a much more efficient way, and when it works, it works really impactfully. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I saw the tales from the. I watched Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters as a kid. Until yeah. hey, speaking of the tales from the Crypt connection, John Cassier. Yeah, the voice of the Crypt Keeper was the voice of Buster Bunny by the time that Night Ghoulery was made. That's true. Yeah, and yeah, it's an anthology. Night Ghoulery is presented as an anthology, and Are You Afraid of the Dark was an anthological series. When Tiny Toons regular series ended in '92, Are You Afraid of the Dark's regular series began in '92. Yeah. So, I think that they go together well in they that do. way, and yeah, and they're both good examples of how anthology horror is the gateway too horror in a lot of way for kids yeah and i feel bad saying real horror because all horror is real horror yeah you know if you're a kid just because something isn't like super terrifying doesn't mean it's any less effective that's why on social media when when you get those engagement posts where people are like you know give me your scariest horror movie i never participate because it's like there's going to be someone who's like that's not scary yeah and it's like it's so it's so dependent on the person yeah, it's subjective. It's very yeah. subjective. And what works for you is works because of certain things. But again, that's why horror is so great, because it's big enough that it's there's something for everybody in it. Yeah. Yeah. And the people that get into that, like, uh, if it doesn't scare you, it's not really horror. It's like, shut up. I love a ton of horror movies that aren't really scary. Yeah. Well, Rob, I love all of the... I think this is a, this is a solid syllabus. This is a... <laughs> A solid kilobus, a terrific <laughs> cursiculum that you've developed here for your Halloween specials semester. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Halloween specials? You know, I've been encouraged the past couple of years by additional Halloween specials, like the Curious Creations of Christine McConnell, which is a series, was awesome. And me and the kids, you know, it might not be for... For some people's little kids, but my my son really loved that show. And there's Jim Henson puppets in there, and it's and it's sweet and creepy and and kind of 
is perfect for the season. And it's doing something very different. And I and I really love that about that show. Yeah. No, she well, and it's such a shame that it didn't last or they didn't they didn't bring it back for the next year. Yeah, Christine McConnell is great. Like she clearly loves the holiday, has an excellent imagination, and that whole series is just a blast. You can watch that on Netflix. You and I are going to talk about the Creepshow animated special. <laughs> so the Creepshow animated special came out in 2020 yeah. at the height of COVID. We did not have a vaccine at that point. At least us, we were still sheltering in place. And it very much felt like Halloween was just canceled that year. Mm-hmm. And we had, oh, that's the other thing that happened. So my wife had a contact with a coworker. So she had to quarantine for two weeks. So then we had to tell, we had to tell our son, because we weren't going to go out trick or treating, but we were going to go, I think we were going to visit, my sister lives in town. We were going to go to her place. She'd been sheltering for two weeks. So everyone was going to be safe. And he had his chupacabra costume on and we had to say, Hey, we're not going to go out for Halloween. Uh, That sucks. Yeah. He was super pissed. But so all this to say, when Shudder decided to release a animated special, I think that's mostly why I was like, oh, it, this is something that I can attach to. It is very clear that this is budget animation. I think I appreciate the the zombie carnival more than I appreciated the man eating himself. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think I think I was just impressed that there was this new Halloween special out in like the worst possible year. Yeah, it was it was nice to have a thing in yeah. that regard. Yeah, I really didn't like it. I really just <laughs> didn't like it. But I think I was also spoiled that year because I, my friend Philip and I watched the Nightstream Film Festival, which was three or four different genre film festivals came together to put their programming up on, I guess, as a streaming festival. Oh, that's awesome. And it was really cool, yeah. And there were some good shorts in there as well. So it was like... That was kind of a Halloween thing for us. And then, you know, Joe Bob, obviously. Yeah. And yeah, there's some new Disney Plus has a new from last year, I think. Mickey Mouse Halloween thing. Oh, yeah. That one's really good. Yeah, I really like that. I liked this new thing on Hulu, the Poloni show from Justin Roiland Halloween special. Yeah, I need to check that one out. You should. It feels like liquid television, honestly. So that was something, speaking of Elvira before that I was, when we were talking about MTV, back then you weren't going to get adult or alternative animation and now everything's liquid television. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of cool, but also it's like, well. Like we had Spike and Mike and liquid television, but now it's like, yeah, Adult Swim, Tim and Eric, like there's all kinds of really interesting different stuff out there. But yeah. the Halloween special, really, the, the Polony Show Halloween special, I really think felt cool but yeah there's still there are still people doing halloween content halloween specials yeah. you know they're just yeah they're not as centralized as they used to be they're not as singular as yeah. they used to be and so i would say if going back to the beginning of the show where you know if if i were to give somebody advice if i were to give a student advice at this at your horror university yeah at your ghoul school at this prestigious sin institution <laughs> I would say um, that YouTube is a great place to find Halloween specials and to kind of make your own Halloween special playlist. Yeah. So since 2013, I've compiled 
weird horror movie trailers or rare horror movie trailers combined with short films, music videos, and Halloween commercials to watch on Halloween or if I'm or if we have a party or whatever, just have it on in the background. And I think that's a way to participate in this season mm-hmm. and make it special in a way that feels like you're catching it on TV. Yeah. And there's also the WNUF Halloween special movie. Excellent. Yes. And the Out There Halloween mega tape, the recently released sequel. Which I just watched and was blown away by the attention to detail. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. I was watching it and I was like, this is what it felt like to be yeah. to be like if I were homesick on Halloween for the first half. And that's what it felt like, daytime television and like regional commercials. Yeah, those are really great. Cinematic Void also has done a couple of Halloween reels on their YouTube channel of just like Halloween commercials and clips and trailers and things. And yeah, I think that this stuff is everywhere. Yeah. And it's good to to make it as well. If you want to make your own shorts and put them up, you can do that. That's, that's You can just pick where you are going to be pushing the Halloween agenda, you know? <laughs> we'll show all these moral panic losers. That, no, Halloween's here to stay, man. Yeah. You can't snuff out Halloween. We're still here. <laughs> Just turn your fucking light off. You don't need to be yeah. a dick about it. Yeah, turn the light off if you don't want to play. And we'll egg your house, and that's the social contract. <laughs> that's... You know? Yeah. Like, no other holidays like it. Every You know, huge chunks participate independent of each other yeah, in different ways. It's great. Well, cool. Thanks for joining me, Rob. I, I'm, it's always good to have a deducator of your <laughs> scullaber. That one doesn't really work as well, but... <laughs> I'm just going to keep giggling every time you do a pun. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us. I hope you have a happy Halloween. You as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I will. Class, Class deceased. deceased.